live from Columbus. It's the Zone of Truth. This week on the show, Griff and I review the Skirt Hard Seltzer Variety Pack, plunder the shackles with Besmara in our segment, Griffin's God Complex, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the Zone of Truth. Do you think you're going to edit out uh, Haley's producer fail, or are you going to leave it in? All right, I'll, I'll edit that out. <laughs> if it was me, I would leave it in. I don't give a shit. But yeah, we'll we'll edit that out. I was just enjoying the party, and I forgot, okay? <laughs> just vibing. I get it. Very excited. You have a job to do. You don't want to vibe. I thought If I we vibe. can't vibe, you can't vibe. <laughs> I just wanted to vibe. Hey, I'm vibing over here. You vibing? Uh, yeah, absolutely, in man. The face of skirt seltzers, you're vibing? Uh, I don't know, man. We'll get into it. <laughs> Maybe not. How are you doing, Griff? I'm doing good. I I feel like I was looking forward to this weekend, mm-hmm. you know? Because last weekend, we spent like seven hours in an Ikea. Yep. It really didn't feel like I got a weekend. Yep. Just had to... I got a plant out of the deal, but we were at Ikea like all day. Mm-hmm. And then we had to move all the furniture that John got up to his apartment again. Yeah. So, so I, I skipped out of that. I was there for the Ikea trip and then I went home. So <laughs> good for you guys. Yeah. And then this week, I feel like has been pretty crazy. We had Bestow Curse Tuesday. We had our off pod reign of winter Wednesday. Bestow Curse Thursday. Double header speak with plants yesterday. And here we are recording a little live zone of truth, hanging out with the listeners. It's a good time. It doesn't let up. It does not let up. We have four episodes of Skull and Shackles to record next week. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, yes, yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be about just as bad. So, uh, oh boy. But what you been up to, man? What's going on in your life? Considering that we just recorded one of these last week, we've done like five or six episodes. I just named off and we're also working full-time jobs. So what have you had the the opportunity to do in all that free time that you've had? I haven't done much, but tomorrow I'm going to the annually, the Marion Mayhem Club in Marion, Ohio does an open to the public armored combat like tryout event so i'm going to do that nice. should be fun so i don't know if we're actually going to get to put on armor or what we're you know what we're doing but if we do put on armor i'll make sure Haley records it <laughs> <laughs> and so you say a tryout is this like trying out for the team then i think so i mean i don't really know if they like cut people because mm-hmm. you know you join the team and then it's like okay spend ten thousand dollars on armor Hmm. So, like, I, I think the team is open to anybody that's willing to do that. I see. But I think it's, I, I think it's more like a, come try the sport, like, see if you like it oh. before you just show up and buy armor or something. Yeah. Well, I guess I have one more question for you. Then, you know, when we see them fight at the Ren Fair, everyone's kind of got their favored weapon, right? Mm-hmm. If you had to pick one, what would you be using? Ooh. I really want something I can use a shield with. Yep. Because I think the strongest weapon, if I could, I would do shields on both hands. 
Oh, that's good. Because in armored combat, like the way that it's played, mm-hmm. like slashing weapons, A, aren't very useful against armor. Piercing weapons aren't very useful against armor. And B, like you're not allowed to use those weapons to like aim for weak spots. So yeah. everything basically becomes a bludgeoning weapon. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather just have like two shields and be like punching with them. Yep. Than having something like long and unwieldy. Now, I think what my favorite weapon is going to end up being, because I'm short and stocky, is something that has some reach mm-hmm. to make up for the fact that, like, they're probably going to put me with, like, those giant, like, six foot five dudes. Yeah. And, you know, that it's hard to get in on that. So be easier if you have, like, a pole arm, which are allowed at a certain length. So that'll probably be what I use, but I'd like to have a shield. I'm going to just put in here, what's the name of that sport again? The Hurt. Yeah, just for people who are questioning, like, rules and things about armored combat, it's not just, like, fighting, it's a sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing I'm most worried about is the helmet. Yeah. What they say is that, like, it takes a lot of getting used to both the airflow and the limited visibility in the helmets, mm-hmm. especially because, like, they're open like night helmets in the sense that like there's not like glass or a visor or cage like a football helmet it's the metal of the helmet that's protecting your face so the openings are really small Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they're swinging metal objects at your face and like face shots are completely legal so like some people actually have kind of like the football helmet S design you've seen them and you probably didn't know it when we watched them at the Ren Fair those guys that look like they have the like chainmail all over their face. Yep. And it's almost like the like the beekeeper outfit. Yeah. That actually has a football cage. That makes sense. Underneath yeah. It. But those are really dangerous to do without the rest of that because like you can definitely get through the bars of a football helmet, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll see. It seems like everybody that participates in the sport kind of has their favorite kind of helmet. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'll like but that's my biggest worry. I'm not really worried about the weight of the armor. It's like 100 pounds, but I mean, like... <laughs> You've lifted a little bit more than that, <laughs> that, that, that in the past. You know, <laughs> when I boxed in college, I used to practice with weighted gloves. So, like, not against people, but, like, when I would hit the bag and stuff just to make sure, like, my arms were... Kind of, it was like, it's the strategy that, like, Master Roshi uses for, like, Krillin and Goku in Dragon Ball Z where he like like all their stuff is weighted and then sure. when they take it off they're like super fast oh yeah and, yeah that was the strategy I was using so I was boxing with 15 pound gloves and then I'd take all the weight out when I would spar and it'd feel like feathers you know mm-hmm. it was easier to keep your arms up if you practiced having to keep your arms up with heavy weights certainly makes sense to me. So I'm hoping that like that experience draws forward into me being okay with keeping my hands up in, you know, plate mail. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to let us know how it goes. If you can snap some photos of you in, in armor, if they get you in it tomorrow, because I definitely want to see that. In the meantime, I'll, I'll chat a little bit about what I've been going on with this week. So it's been a big week for music for me. The Ghost Inside just dropped a new song called Death Grip. 
And it is my favorite song that they've put out since like 2015. I think it is so good. It kind of feels like older Ghost Inside. They do the classic Ghost Inside thing where it's like heavy as fuck. And then they have like a just slightly lighter refrain with like the floaty guitar over it. Sounds really fun. I really, really, really like this song. So Death Grip by Ghost Inside. Awesome. Also some notable shout outs. Enter Shikari teamed up with a band called Aviva to put out a song called Strangers, which is really, really good. And then kind of similar to Ghost Inside, a band that I used to listen to a ton, Four Years Strong. I haven't listened to most of their recent releases or haven't really got into them, but they just put out a new song called Dead End Friend that just absolutely rips. Great pop punk. Love it. So some pretty good songs across the board. And then... Griff, you kind of pointed me in the direction of, uh, I can't remember everybody that's on this collab, but the band that I recognize is Magnolia Park. They're a really cool pop punk band, but they put out a song called, I think it's either Animal or Animals. I can't remember if it's singular or plural. But if you all want a, a good song to get you jazzed for my Skull and Shackles character, Atlas, they talk about mirrors a lot in that song and it fucking rips. It's so good. So lots of new music that I've been listening to this week, but I also bought a new TV. My old one was starting to show some age. So I got 65 inch OLED. Looks beautiful. Been watching a whole bunch of like anime and, and shit on there just to kind of break it in. And I really, really like it. So very glad that I pulled the trigger on that. I'm equally excited for this seltzer pack we're about to try. Skirt. Uh, SKRT. Stylized that way. Hard seltzer variety packs. Let's, let's, uh, let's dive into this one. Just like the Duncan review that we had in episode 123. And hey, you know, episode 123, easy as ABC, do re me. Uh, yeah. A little late, Steve, a little late. Uh, just like the Duncan review from that episode, there's no real copy on the website for this. So here's a quote from entrepreneur and music manager mogul Dre London from foodandbeveragemagazine.com. When it comes to business, I am all about giving the consumer what they want or what they didn't know they needed. I am very proud to be launching Skirt Hard Seltzer, which proceeds Maison Number no. 9, a premium rosé I launched in 2020. Bridging the gap between music industry's biggest rock star, Post Malone, with consumers brings a new energy to the RTD market and communities nationwide. I did find one line on the website, so... This is what it says. Bigger flavor than other seltzers and less calories than the alternatives developed and owned by the culture. For the culture, Skirt is the next generation hard seltzer. These are rocking 5% ABV, 100 calories per can. We've got four flavors here. And this is the only pack that they produce. Black cherry, lemon lime, peach, and grape. An okay mix. Yeah. I think the market's pretty saturated with your black cherries. Peach is definitely on the come up this year. Grapes kind of new and lemon lime usually either get one or the other. So I'm glad to see those together. We'll see how it plays out. But let's talk about how we're going to rate the seltzers. We're going to be classifying these by skirt length. So one out of five is a mini skirt. Two out of five is a short skirt. Three is on knee. Four is a maxi skirt. And of course, five is floor length. I think we just got to get into these, Griff. You ready to go? Do you have any preconceived notions on this before we start? Yeah, they're going to be bad. I think this is going to suffer just like pretty universally the the like celebrity tequilas and celebrity mm -hmm. like liquors and that kind of stuff where it's like, uh, uh, why'd you do this? Like, this isn't very good. Yeah. 
this feels like a cash grab. I don't know much about Dre London, but I don't think I trust him. I don't think I trust him. And notably, Post Malone... We, we we looked up online and we can't find a photo of him drinking or even in the same frame as these seltzers. Yep. So Post Malone drinks like, beer, so I don't know why he's backing a seltzer brand. Yeah, and his branding's not on the box. It's not on the, the cans themselves. Dre London is talking about bridging the consumer with Post Malone. I would if, like, have if you no bought idea. These, yeah. If you bought Post these, Malone like had anything the, to do Post with Malone's this. involvement is not apparent. Mm-hmm. You have to look it up. And as I found out today, Skirt, which is stylized SKRT, is not a Post Malone song no. by somebody else. So let's give this a try. Black Cherry. What's the copy on that there, Griff? Black Cherry. Perfect balance of sweet and tart. How's that perfect balance? Yeah, I'm going to say Faith Restored. That's pretty good. I'm not wild about it, but I don't think it's bad. I think it's a little bit more tart than sweet. Yeah, I like that. It doesn't taste like all the black cherries out there. You know, Mm -hmm. it's definitely a little bit more tart. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. I'm putting that on me. Three out of five. Yeah, I'll probably give it a maxi skirt. The tartness actually makes it one of the better black cherries. Mm -hmm. Which you usually don't get. So I think the big thing is. What I was expecting out of these was to get that, like, shitty, awful seltzer flavor at the end. Yes. That a lot of the bad seltzers have. I didn't get that from this one. Well, let's see for lemon lime. This is described as crisp, clean, and refreshing. Here's the deal. I would not describe this as crisp, clean, or refreshing because it's really, really sweet. Yeah. So I don't think the description is right. It's okay. Yeah. I mean... It's definitely more lemon than lime. Mm-hmm. Got a little bit of a sour hint there. It's middle of the road. I've definitely had worse, like, limes. Yeah. <laughs> lime's generally the worst in the pack. So, you know. I could throw this on me as well. Yes. I don't think I'm crazy. About, again, I don't think I'm, I'm crazy about it, but it does the job okay. I was also thinking on me. Yeah. All right. All right, Peach, what do we got? Ripe, juicy, and sweet. Ooh. Just like the peach emoji. I'll give that a sip. Kind of artificial. Tastes kind of like a peach ring. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a terrible thing. It's definitely like pretty high on the sweet scale, though, which I'm actually a little shocked by because the black cherry in my mind was kind of at the right spot. I feel like these last two have been like too sweet. Yeah, this is very sweet. It's kind of candy-like. Yeah. Um, I don't hate it. But it's definitely like peach ring, not like. Yeah. Peach the flavor. I mean, the website copy for the pack in general says bigger flavor than other seltzers. And I think not wrong so far. Yeah, These I mean, are I, all pretty. They certainly haven't had any there. like effervescent flavors. Right. They're all pretty front and center. Yeah, they're coming at you pretty hard. I know this is boring, but I'm still going to stay on me for this. This I, is not bad. I don't think it's great. I think it's just doing what it's trying to do. I have to agree with you there. Like with this one, I've had better and worse peach. Mm -hmm. And this one is just okay. Yeah. But since the other ones weren't terrible, I'm a little excited for this one because I really like grape stuff. If it tastes like grape soda, I'm in. If Mm -hmm. it tastes like, even if it just tastes like a little bit of grape, I'm probably still in. Absolutely. So this is the last flavor here. Underrepresented in seltzer packs today, I think. Described as big, bold, and fresh. Here's grape. 
the smell. Yeah. I think this probably benefits a little bit from the bias that there's not a lot of grape out there. Yeah. But I think this is pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, that's like... It's uh, good. It's pretty close to grape soda. Yeah. Which, like, if you like grape soda, it's it. Yeah. Boy, it's big, it's bold, and it's... Well, I don't know if it's fresh, but it's big and bold. It's, it's definitely artificial grape. <laughs> it's definitely very artificial grape. I'm really torn on this one. Do I go maxi or floor length? Where do you think you're dropping this one? Because I I feel like if a 4.5 was on the scale, I would do a 4.5. Like, I feel you. Yeah. I think I'm going to go floor length just because I'm a really big fan of grape. Mm-hmm. And they did it fine. You know? Yeah. I'm going to go maxi skirt just with I think that'll the, get us the, yeah, uh, the, the combined 4.5. Just with kind of the hope out there that there's a little bit more of a refined grape flavor in our future with some future pack. But this is really good. I mean, well done on that flavor. Across the board, like we said, really thought this pack was going to fall flat. I doubt anyone's going to see it on shelves in a couple months, but (laughs) it was okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It could have done worse. You could definitely do worse. Yeah, so across the board, final verdict. Would Post Malone be better now if these seltzers were not around? Um, I think he might be a little better now if he tried them. <laughs> yeah. You know, if he would associate with it. Mm-hmm. I don't think these are an embarrassment. That's what yeah. I'll say. Like, I, you know, I think this is nothing like Sesh or anything like that. Like, embarrassing to have your name tied to. Like, these are better than Bud Light seltzers for the most part. And he, I, he promotes them yeah i would think that at some point if somebody really likes this pack they'll go up to post malone and say hey man i love you seltzers and the first thing he'll probably say is like i don't know what you're talking about but um (laughs) but you know it's not a bad thing it's better than if somebody can't like came up to him and said these fucking suck like they're not bad do you even drink alcohol post malone these are dog shit absolutely so i think this is okay we got to divide these up I definitely want to be drinking grape later, but I know you're hype on grape and you did rate it a little higher. I think you can go ahead and take that. But to balance that out, I do want this peach and then black cherry or lemon lime. I I just don't really care. I rated the black cherry higher. So, all right. Sounds good. All right. We're divided up here and we're ready to move on to our next segment. This is our analysis of a Pathfinder deity. This is Griffin's God Complex. So today we're talking about Besmara. Okay. So I wrote something. Ahoy. In this new edition of popular segment Griffin's God Complex, I'll be doing a review of religion's effects on real life pirates while Griffin sets sail with Pathfinder's pirate queen herself, Besmara, hoists the sails. So, all right going to talk a little bit about religion in the real world and how it intersected with pirates. When we were talking about this before I did some real homework, I wanted to talk about where religion and piracy intersect because we're talking about a pirate deity. But I also wanted to talk about pirate superstitions like, you know, don't sail on particular days or you don't want ladies on board or whatever. But when I started getting into this topic, I think I realized that those were two separate discussions because there's a lot of really interesting stuff where religion and piracy intersected in our real world. And then there's just so much cool superstition stuff that I want to save that for a later episode of The Zone of Truth. I think that should be its own carve out later. I think we'd be doing the disservice to both if we combined them in this segment here today. So let's chat a little bit about what we're going to be chatting about here. 
I'm mostly going to be talking about the golden age of piracy. This is what people usually refer to as the 17th and 18th centuries, roughly, when an estimated about 5,000 pirates were active in the Mediterranean and the Caribbean. There's an article that I'm citing right now, Western Religion's Influence on Piratical Endeavors During the Golden Age of Piracy, written by Joseph Mogul. I found this on Mensa.org, and I thought it was a, a really cool overview of the way that all of these Western religions influenced piracy. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, and how they intersected with piracy. But before I do that, all of them are really going to tie back to a key tenet of privateering in those days, and that's letters of mark. So if you're not familiar with letters of mark, they are orders which are used to justify piracy for whatever motivations. So they're basically legalized, deputized pirates, which attack ships of rival nations or creeds. So, you know, for example, if the Protestant English gave pirates letters of mark to attack Catholic Spanish ships, then piracy is illegal, but it's not illegal for that purpose. So it's a way for countries with limited navies to fight powers with more ships or private citizens to prey on enemy nations. I did the English and Spanish example. We also see this played in Catholic Malta against the Ottoman Empire, the Protestant Dutch against the Catholic Spanish, Morocco using former Muslim and Jewish Spanish citizens against Catholic Spanish themselves. So this is very common for this time in history. All right, we're going to talk about Christianity for a little bit. So this was a real big time driver of religious privateering. As colonialism in this time was expanding, largely driven by the Spanish, English, and Dutch, this was often driven by religious motivations or justifications. As trade ramped up with the colonies and their mother countries, piracy increased as well during this golden age. And there was a couple big drivers, one of them being the expulsion of Jewish and Muslim people from Spain. There was a decree by King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella in 1492 that Jewish people needed to either convert to Christianity in Spain or be expelled. So a lot of them left. A very similar order was decreed against Muslims in 1525. A lot of the people that left turned to piracy against Spain. The thing about piracy and Christianity is that this got extremely secular too. So these Christian nations would give these letters of mark for people to attack ships of other faiths, other countries, and even divisions within their own religion. So Protestants against Catholics, etc. that type of like within the own religion infighting. In Malta, there were these Knights of St. John who were appointed by the Roman Emperor in 870, and they operated long beyond that, but they saw themselves as a continuation of the Crusades. They followed a strict religious code, and so they were these Christian ships which were attacking the Ottoman Empire and Muslim territories in the area. And they also attacked English shipping because England was supporting the Barbary states, which is Morocco, Algiers, Tunis, and Tripoli. A couple more examples here. We have 
English Puritans on Providence Island off of Nicaragua. They had left England, but still used this island as the base of operations to attack Spanish ships. So even though they weren't allied with England anymore, who hated the Spanish, they still wanted to weaken Catholic influence. So they were big time pirates in the Caribbean. I'm going to switch gears for a second here and talk about Islam. So a big driver of Islamic privateering was the Ottoman Empire, specifically engaging the Barbary states and supporting them to attack other foreign nations and religions ships. Eventually, the Barbary states gained their own independence, but basically kept that up. They were famous around the Mediterranean and similar to the Malta Corsairs operated as kind of a continuation of the Crusades. So they oftentimes would not attack other Muslim nations or Muslim ships from other countries and were mostly attacking Catholic and Protestant ships. Now, they weren't the most powerful pirates in the world, but there was so much infighting between the Catholics and the Protestants that this relatively not strong alliance of pirates were able to flourish at that time. Eventually, the politics changed and the Barbary states were defeated in 1815 in the Second Barbary War. One note that I found was very interesting was that Muslim privateering was a little different than privateering of other faiths because there is a tenant within Islam that you cannot enslave other Muslims. And this is a very common occurrence at that time was like a a pirate ship would attack a ship and then basically press gang people to work for them enslaved as pirates under them. So they had this religious defined limit that they could not basically do what everybody else was doing. One final note here before I kick it over to Griff about Judaism. So they contributed to piracy as well. I mentioned how a bunch of Jews were expelled from Spain in 1492. A lot of them ended up allying themselves with the Barbary states and basically being pirates for hire, even though they had different religious motivations than their Muslim counterparts. So there weren't a ton of Jewish pirates at this time, but I thought that was kind of notable. And, you know, religion drove them to be pirates in the first place. So, yeah, that's uh, that's that. I don't know. I feel like I was just word vomiting for a long time about how all of these Western religions intersected with piracy, but I just thought it was really interesting. I did not realize that religion played such a key part in how prevalent piracy was in those days and what we define as like the golden age of piracy was largely driven by faith. Kind of interesting. So, However, Besmara is the pirate deity, so pretty much all pirates in Galarian at least pay respect to Besmara. However, it is noted that most pirates aren't very religious in Galarian. And so usually they only pray to Besmara in dire straits or on their deathbed. But Besmara is known as the Pirate Queen, the Black Lady, the Sea Banshee, or Sailor's Doom. And her deific realm is aboard her ship, the Sea Wraith, which travels the Outer Plains, So she goes on piracy raids in the Maelstrom, in Hell, Elysium, Axis, and Heaven. She rides her ship all throughout the Outer Plains. 
basically doing what pirates do. She's kind of like the stereotypical pirate. If you can imagine, her holy symbol is just a skull and crossbones. Her holy animal is a parrot. Very stereotypical pirate things. Follow this god. I think they just kind of took everything that was classic kitschy pirate and threw it at Besmara. So her areas of concern are piracy, strife, and sea monsters. And her edicts are to sail the seas, stay loyal to captain and crew, and take what you want. Anathema is to betray shipmates, forsake piracy, or settle on land. In 1E, she's a chaotic neutral goddess, so could be worshipped by chaotic good, chaotic evil, and neutral worshippers. However, in 2E, no longer allows non-chaotic worshippers. Her domains include chaos, trickery, water, war, and weather in 1E, and destruction, trickery, water, and wealth in 2E. Favored weapon is a rapier, and her sacred colors are black and white, like a pirate flag. So let's talk a little bit about where she came from. Besmara was originally a powerful spirit of water, and her abilities as a spirit of water were more in the sea monster realm, so she could control all sea monsters that she came into contact with, which gave her dominion over, like leviathans and that kind of thing. But she was able to grow in power over the centuries because specifically people afraid of sea monsters would, like, sacrifice to her because sea monsters are very scary. <laughs> and so she would get sacrifices. She grew in power from essential, like, tangential worship until she was able to defeat and consume several rival spirits, those that represented battle, gold, and wood, which allowed her to basically blossom into the minor god of piracy, strife, and sea monsters. So all things pirate, she consumed the other spirits of those things and became kind of the amalgamation of that. How she appears to people is actually, you know, as a well-dressed pirate woman in, you know, classic tricorn hat, feathering cap, bodice, guns, belts, captain's coat, that kind of thing, which actually makes her one of the best-dressed gods on Galarian. <laughs> which I thought this was kind of strange. She actually is a part of the resplendent court, which is a pantheon of well-dressed gods. It's like the fashion, oh. <laughs> the fashion pantheon of all the gods that like kind of care about appearances. When you said one of the best dressed gods, I thought that was subjective, but no, 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 no that that is, is, she's, right she's right part of the there. resplendent court. Huh. Uh, she's also part of seafarers hope, which is a group of four gods that all kind of, relate to ships and oceans and you know piracy with Besmara, etc. In 2E, her divine ability is Dexterity or Con, and she you can get harm or heal from her, having chaotic good and chaotic evil worshippers. Her cleric spells are Hydraulic Push, Feet to Fins, and Mariner's Curse. I thought her divine intercession was particularly interesting because it's easy to get. So Besmara is very active in her worshippers' contributions to her as well as like their transgressions against things like the pirate code. So Besmara's code is actually her holy text, which mirrors the in real life pirate's code that was out there. So I'll 
I'll get into what the pirate's code is. But uh, she's very serious about following and not following that code and will dole out boons and curses accordingly. So her minor boon is that she likes you. You amuse her. And so she throws plunder and peril your way. That'll usually come in the form of like a map or a treasure chest that's leading you to something else. She wants to see you adventure and take what is yours. So you might get like a message in a bottle or some other sign that gives you directions to some other form of adventure. Her moderate boon is that you're always at home on the seas and ready to plunder an enemy vessel or defend your own. So when you're on board a boat, you get a plus two status bonus to all initiative rolls, acrobatics checks, athletics checks, and you never get seasick. Her major boon is that you're unaffected by storms, and so you can ignore all effects and penalties caused by precipitation and winds, and you can see through all fog, rain, and other water conditions and weather conditions. Her minor curse, however, is terrible. This is one of the worst minor curses mechanically I've seen. You feel some of the effects of scurvy, making your wounds flow more easily. The DC of the flat check for you to remove persistent bleed damage is 20 instead of 15. If, what? And you don't recover from persistent bleed damage automatically when you reach full hit points. That's awful. Yeah. So really easy to die from bleeding out if you if you transgress against Besmara. Her moderate curse is you get seasick and you become sick in two whenever you see the sea or are on a boat. You can't reduce the condition until you can no longer see the sea. Though you can manage to stomach enough food and water to survive a sea voyage with extreme discomfort. And then the major curse is she herself plunders you and takes all of your stuff. <laughs> mm. So you lose, you lose all of your wealth. Jeez. You know, you get a chance to recover your lost wealth if you parlay with her, as many pirates do. If you parlay with her and accept whatever dangerous terms she offers, usually requiring a heist she will find sufficiently amusing, whether you succeed or fail, then she requires you to, you know, whatever goods you gain performing this heist, if you're successful or this test or whatever it is, she requires you to give her all of that, and then she will give you your previously taken goods. Sure. There's a little redemption arc there. Yeah. A lot of her intercession, though, is that like she she herself is like entertained by her followers, which is an interesting trait for a god to have, because many of the gods of Galarian are very off-hands. And she is a bit hands-on, I think in part because she doesn't really have her own divine realm, and so she just kind of floats around. So let's talk a little bit about this pirate's code. Pirate's Code is like a list of rules, essentially, that are meant to be followed by all pirates. It's said in the verbiage around Besmara that Besmara's Code is not exactly the Pirate's Code, but kind of follows the same gist. So, one, every man has a vote in affairs of moment, has equal title to the fresh provisions or strong liquors at any time seized, and may use them at pleasure unless a scarcity makes it necessary for the good of all to vote a retrenchment. Two, every man to be called fairly in turn by list on board of prizes because they were on these occasions allowed a shift of clothes, but if they defrauded the company of the value of a dollar and plate, jewels, or money, marooning was their punishment. If the robbery was only betwixt one another... They contented themselves with slitting the ears and nose of him that was guilty and set him on shore 
not in an uninhabited place, but somewhere where he was sure to encounter hardships. So basically, that's like don't steal from each other. And if you do, uh, <laughs> you get in trouble. Three, no person to game at cards or dice for money. This one kind of surprised me. Four, the lights and candles to be put out at eight o'clock at night. If any on the crew after that hour still remain inclined to for drinking, they were to do it on the open deck. Uh, five. That's part of the pirate's code. Part of the pirate's the code is, on time. Part of the pirate's code is lights out at eight, but if you want to keep drinking, do it above deck. That's so funny. <laughs> part of that is like there were certain issues with open flames on oh, sure, the ocean yeah. and that kind of thing too. Oh, it's not just don't be a menace. You need to yeah. sleep. Well, no, I mean, it's it's if you're going to be a menace, do it upstairs. Five, to keep their piece, pistol, and cutlass clean and fit for service. Six, no boy or woman to be allowed amongst them. If any man were to be found seducing any of the latter sex and carried her out to sea disguised, he was to suffer death. So basically, you can't sneak any chicks on board. No chicks allowed. Bummer, bro. <laughs> no, no chicks allowed on the ship. Yeah. Only gay pirates. That's right. Well, uh, yeah. Seven, to desert the ship or their quarters in battle was punished with death or marooning. Eight, no striking one another on board, but every man's quarrels to be ended on shore at sword and pistol. Duel would happen, and if both miss, they then they have to draw their cutlasses and fight to the death uh, with sword. Nine, no man to talk of breaking up their way of living till each had shared 1,000 pounds, so currency. If in order to this any man should lose a limb or become a cripple in their service, he was to have $800 out of the public stock and for lesser hurts proportionally. So they had, uh, they had, they had, uh, paid medical leave. Yeah, paid medical leave or disability or whatever. Disability payments. Ten. The captain and quartermaster to receive two shares of a prize, the master, bosun, and gunner, one share and a half, and other officers, one and a quarter. And 11, the musicians to have rest on Sabbath day, but the other six days and nights, none without special favor. So uh, you're playing music every night but Sunday. Good to know. I will not do any sort of inspire courage in the future on Sundays. Hey, well, you know, we, we do not want to upset Besmara, so yeah. it makes sense. I don't want that in you, which means you have to play music every other day. Oh, no. <laughs> Hell or high water, you're playing music. And lights out at eight. Lights out at eight. <laughs> Unless you want to keep drinking, then no lights, but drink on the deck. <laughs> I love that. Thanks for bringing that, man. That was a lot of fun. I, yeah. I didn't. So this is something that was popularized back in this golden age of piracy. We've been talking about then, huh? Yep. Yep. So the. Uh, the Pirate's Code was, I think it, it originally started from privateers who actually like codified because they were legal pirates, like codified behavior on a ship. And then it was co-opted by less scrupulous pirates. And as you can imagine, some of those rules are like, hey, if you get in an argument, go fucking kill each other, <laughs> but do it on shore. Like, don't do it here. Yep. So like, you know, a, a lot of I think it became looser and looser as it was co-opted by less and less legal piracy to the point where it's like hey these rules exist basically so that you can keep the ship orderly but also to codify that we don't really care what you do to each other I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as you don't do it on the boat Yeah. so that's Bismarck cool man anything else you wanted to add before uh, we got going there 
No, I don't think so. I mean, you guys know, Bespara's biggest place of worship is the shackles, obviously. And that's where she began being worshipped. And with a champion of Besmara in the party, I'm sure we are going to find ourselves bumping up against her religious beliefs quite a bit. I'm sure it's going to play heavy into the adventure. The phrasma of carrying crown to this adventure is Besmara and Skull and Shackles. Yep. So, all right. I think it is time for questions. Do we have any in the chat there, Haley? I have one that's more of a fun fact that I think everyone should have. Hell yeah. What do we got? Newt asked, do you know the word buccaneer originated as someone who barbecues? I did look this up and it's real. (laughs) Someone who barbecues? It's basically, it's someone who's like smoking or like barbecuing meat over a fire. So I am a buccaneer. I wonder how the it's that French. one-to-one was made. Like, um, were, did a lot of people on pirate ships barbecue? Let me, let me. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> like, so, but like, how does that make you like? Maybe the punishment for piracy was like getting burned at the stake. The term buccaneer comes from the French boucan, a grill for the smoking of meat or dried meat for use in ships at sea. So oh. it's a specific type of grill <laughs> that was used. On well, so ships. it's just like you guys eat smoked meat, so <laughs> you're buccaneers. You're buccaneers. You're buccaneers. <laughs> that, that reminds me of like the term barbarian and barber is like it comes from like a, a Latin word because um, I thought they, it came from where uh, like the languages of the non-Romans sounded like bar 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 to them. No, I thought that was a thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the thing. No, it's uh, it's like the barbarians don't shave or trim their hair, so or maybe. Jeez, I gotta look this up. Look at, look at I'm where, where barbarian originated. Barbarian. I'm pretty sure barbarian just means you're not uh, you're not Roman or whatever. I mean that is true. What is the Latin barbarus? Savagely cruel, primitive, and uncivilized court. Well, may, okay, maybe I Language, have it backwards. Language coarse and unrefined. Well, so, so maybe I have it backwards, and then they're coarse and unrefined. Oh, barber came yes. from barbarian. So I had I had it backwards. I, yeah. I'm not right, but I had it backwards. Is what it was. <laughs> yeah, the, is the, that, the yeah. bar 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 thing. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure is true. Yeah, it's like that. That's what non-Romanic lang or non-Latin sounded like to the Latin speakers. Boy, etymology is really cool. I love like finding out you know, where like, words come from. You know how like, you know, certain languages do kind of like take on a, if you don't speak the language, you can kind of like, like you could tell someone speaking Spanish if you don't speak Spanish because mm-hmm. the language has its own kind of like cadence and sound. Yeah. I think that's why that bar bar thing is because they were speaking like Celtic or whatever, yeah. you know, around there. What were they? The Goths? I think so. I don't know what they spoke actually. But it's something that to the Latin ears, and I'm like, bar, 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 bar. <laughs> all right. Well, I've got a couple questions here. So this comes from Duck Tron, the Duck Lord. How many Pirates of the Caribbean movies have you seen? And will there be a ton of references in the new show? I've seen all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. How about you, Griff? I don't think I've seen like the two newest ones. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the one where they like brought all the like. The- There's the original three. Then there's On Stranger Tides, which is the one that's basically just Jack Sparrow. And then there's Five, which is like Jack Sparrow and like kids who fill the same roles as um, the the two other 
Orlando Bloom and yeah, uh, yeah I haven't seen that one. Is. I've seen the original three. Kira Knightley, yes. I've seen the original three, and I think I've seen like parts of On Stranger Tides. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've seen the whole thing. On Stranger Tides is utterly skippable. I think the fifth one is a little bit better because On Stranger Tides doesn't have any ship battles. Yeah, which is crazy. No ship battles. No ship. There's a lot of ships. Because like cause no it's, ship battles. Because it's the Curse of the Black Pearl. The Dead Man's Chest, and then At World's End, right? Yes. That's the original three. Mm-hmm. And then On Stranger Tides, and then I don't know the name of the fifth one. Yeah, I have no idea, but I don't know. Will there be tons of references, Griff? I mean, as far as, like, yeah, they're the piratiest movies that exist. I'm not, like, pulling Davy Jones into this, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like, I don't know. Rags Mauda's ship is pretty Davy Jones-ish, right? Like, we've already kind of made references that are, like, similar. And I guess I can't speak for you because you're the one who's crafting all of this stuff. But I think if there's going to be quote-unquote references, there'll probably be more parallels where this was a stereotype of pirates or something that actually happened in those times. So the movies emulated that. And this is the pirate AP, so we're em- we're gonna emulate that same thing. So it may look like there are references or parallels, right. but we're just doing all the same shit. You know, they had a Jolly Roger flag, so do we. Like I'm probably not gonna I'm not, probably not gonna have thing, one of you know? like run around on top of like a wheel or whatever, like Jack Sparrow does in the <laughs> one. But like, oh, if if I'm taking this AP to twenty, like probably guarantee there's going to be like a Kraken fight at some point, right? Sure. That's like, Obviously. That's a pirate thing to do. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, next question here. We have one from Crote. On the off chance this hasn't been asked in a while, what four flavors would be in the first HLP branded seltzer pack? Now, that, I think this is a fun one. And I was thinking about this a little bit earlier today, Griff. And you know what I think would be kind of cool? A lot of our parties are for characters. So what if we had party themed packs where so we had a Matumbe flavor, an Eclipse flavor, a Lyra and an Ikmer or a, a Vecmir, Sylvie, Diego type thing. I think that would be kind of fun. Yeah. I think that's better than just pick our four favorite flavors. I don't know if we're talking like normal flavors or if we're kind of going like off script. Because like if I were to do normal flavors that like we've had before mm-hmm. in seltzer packs right i'd say like eclipse is probably black cherry yeah like uh, i was gonna say blood orange Ikmer's like lemon oh, lime sure. lyra is some tropical flavor like pineapple and then matumbe is maybe matumbe gets grape or maybe matumbe gets like with all the, the purple uh, yeah with all the purple or maybe matumbe gets like the uh acai like the blueberry acai Ooh, flavor or whatever I like that. you don't yeah. think lyra's would be watermelon I guess there's water in it. Yeah. I was just, I was trying to think of something tropical like maybe, coconut. Maybe I just don't <laughs> imagine the lake in Lake and Carson as like Yeah, but she was like all about the sea. The shitty flavor from Sonic that's like ocean water. Oh yeah, the ocean water. <laughs> ocean wave? Yeah, ocean wave. Or maybe so hers is just salt water. Salt water flavor. Original. Pretty good. Original. Original. <laughs> <laughs> Unflavored just seltzer, seltzer flavored seltzer. Yeah. Water flavored water. <laughs> Uh, let me think about bestow curse. I think. I mean, you don't want to reuse flavors, but like right, silvery would be a black cherry. Well, I um, think I think Sylvie's two flavors, right? It's it's. Um, she's going to be one of those like the kiwi gut lava. Yeah, yeah, because oh, she's because she's sure. got the split color hair, so she's probably like like the cherry limeade or like something like that, like mm-hmm. the two the two flavor approach. 
I think to that end, like Diego could be like a black and white thing with his like revenant type uh I know revenant's the, not the right word for it, but the duskwalker type thing like a coconut or something. Or what else do cats like? I like fish. Maybe like a fish flavor. Maybe all like a fish flavor. Yeah. Savory. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst. That's the way. I don't think I think I think Diego probably fits the uh like black raspberry. Oh, I'm not against that. Or blackberry. Blackberry. Chris is on. Chris, uh, yeah, you can chime in if he has like a flavor for Diego. Black cat, blackberry, Vec and Mir. I don't know if you guys have like ideas of what your flavors are, but I well, think- with all of like Vec's golden energy, I think that's an easy like mango or pineapple. It's not creative, but I think yeah. that's an easy one to one. Yeah, I think Mir should be like a medicinal herb. Mm. I don't know what that would be. That's like actually, Aloe vera. actually like flavorful, but like. Like that's where Mir might get like the the one that has like the mintiness. Yeah. Like the um Oh boy. We've got some some great stuff in the comments here. So Chris is saying that he likes the coconut idea for Diego. I I, so I, I like that a lot. And then Rez says Mir Lord. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Mirror I think Lord. you have confused me and Steve. I would love a Malort seltzer. <laughs> Mir's is just that. rubbing alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Mir's could be like a minty lime. Yeah, I think I think it'd be like a, it'd, it'd be like the a mojito. Yeah, it'd be like the mojito flavor. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's why yeah. I said mint and lime. And then if we got to have a fifth for Figgy, like worm flavor, maybe. Yeah, and we're not going to count Gakin. Yeah, no, yeah, he's ghosted the pack. <laughs> <laughs> Gakin's flavor is there, you just don't see it. It's unmanifested. Awesome, all right. Well, what would you call them? Call, like, the packs? Like, like if, if Diego's was the Blackberry, it's easy to call it, like, Barbarian Blackberry. Yep. But if it's Coconut, it's... it's oh... Oh, oh, this is tough. Yeah, I don't know. Whew. Hmm. Oh, dear. Like, yours would be like pineapple patch up. Mm-hmm. Mirrors might be like... Hmm. Oh, mirrors would be the lime in the coconut. Because that's the one that uh, you're supposed to take for a stomachache. Oh, sure. Okay, okay. And you can just call that one doctor's orders because that's what the lime in the coconut is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We're making this more complex. We are making Sylvie's, it more complex. Sylvie's would be something with split, like split personalities or uh, something. Heterochromia. Hag juice. <laughs> <laughs> Hag juice. Ginger something could definitely work. Yeah, Rez says, could ginger something seltzer work? I think they have in the past. I think we've had something with ginger in it before, and it worked really well. We've definitely had it in, like, the mocktail Moscow mule type thing, and I think that's I think press had relative, it relatively successful. Oh, yeah, press did, too, yeah. It was a ginger something. It was good. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I think that's all of them, though, right? Yeah. I think that pretty much covers b- without getting into backup characters or linked legacy or anything. The follow up question if what member of the HLP crew would you task with writing the ad copy for these players? I could really spew some bullshit yeah, for this. I, I think, I think you, I, you probably pick me to do the names yes. and you to do the ad copy. That's, I mean, that's, that's our dynamic right there. Yeah. <laughs> you get the idea, and I'll, I'll flesh it out. We're good. All right, so how are we doing on time? We're getting pretty close here. So I do have one more question, and this isn't super fun, but it's a little bit more technical. 
We had one from Eric, uh, 10 Law Gnomes, a little while ago. It's a question specifically for Griff. So what's your secret for combats with a lot of combatants? Do you have any special prep tactics or monster modification that makes it sound easy, yet still a challenge for the PCs? So if you're throwing a lot of enemies at us, how do you do that? I'd say tactics-wise, it's just unfair to play like eight enemies as like hyper-intelligent. Yeah. Like you might with an enemy or two. I find myself when we have a lot of enemies, especially, you know, I I harken back to like the the one fight that you guys had before you got deeper into the Temple of Ergothoa. It's like, yeah, enemies aren't necessarily like foregoing options that might cause an attack of opportunity. The positioning is hard, so you kind of got to let your marshals shine and get those attack of opportunities and those big combats. You know, they're not playing super smart. If the party has a really good idea, like Emily did with like barricading the door, you know, let that kind of stuff happen to split the combat. And I'd say like, try and spread the damage and targets out. That often becomes difficult with any party because you often have like frontliners that are actively trying to keep stuff from the back line. And that kind of thing, which is, you know, part of their strategy and purpose. But if you can spread some of the damage out to the back line and cause a little bit of like movement in the party, I think that even though it seems stressful, like when Vec gets attacked or whatever, it ends up making it more balanced and it ends up with like, you know, Diego not die immediately yeah. in that combat. Same way with the, you know, original Carrying Crown stuff and 1E, it's it's like sometimes you really need those big combats because on the flip side, like you guys have a ton of <laughs> you guys have eight players or yeah. whatever. And so so I really recommend even like, you know, I hate to say this, I I'm not an advocate of fudging dice rolls except in the in the case of initiative, I think it's really important in those combats to try and like break up your turn and let the the combat move around. Because if you're going like, Oh, I got eight cultists and they're all going in like a block. That becomes really tough because you have to think of what eight people are going to do. And it makes it really hard not to metagame and be like, this guy's going to set up a flank and then delay, and then this guy's going to move into the flank, hit, get the flank, this other guy gets the flank. Like, if you can split them up, it allows your party to address those threats. Like, it, it allows your frontliner to be like, hey, I just got, you know, this guy just went around me. I'm going to try and move so this other guy doesn't have the opportunity to, like, step up and flank me. Mm-hmm. If you let them all go, it, it gets tricky in that way because you end up, you know, as, as a GM, you're a strategist too, and you end up, you know, getting an advantage in, in, in the sense that you're able to move all your pieces at once. I think from a visualization standpoint too, interspersing enemies with the party in such a way that you have enemy go, party go, enemy go, party go, like, uh, or rather, enemy go, character go, enemy character go, instead of all of the enemies go, then all the party goes, or vice versa, that feels a little bit more like a real battle to me than just like, I don't know, 
if you have one side go fully and then wait while the other side goes fully, that just feels like turn like yeah, it just feels turn-based like turn-based combat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it all is turn-based yeah, combat, but, but like, it feels like, less like a real it feels, battle. It feels adversarial, right? Yes. It's like it's like, hey, yes. uh, you know, the enemy is acting. Mm-hmm. So those would be my my suggestions. I I always say in, in things like this, like especially if they're not particularly weak enemies like if this is a big combat and it's meant to be a challenge for the party like you really should not pull punches in the sense of rolls but don't do everything perfectly optimally because that's not a real simulation of how like that combat would go the party can act optimally because they're a unit and they they've fought together for years like this group of zombies or whatever isn't going to act optimally. So I just keep that in mind because a lot of people get that in their head. Like, I want to do the absolute correct turn, even as the GM. And it's like, uh, you know, flub some stuff, flub a little bit of stuff because that makes it more fun. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that was some good advice. Appreciate you sharing. I think that does it for questions for us today. So I'm going to do a little bit of wrap up and housekeeping. As you know, if you've listened to the last episode of The Zone of Truth, that was episode 123, which again, 123, easy as ABC. Um, We did announce that our Skull and Shackles vignettes are going to start dropping Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, starting the 20th, which should be the day that this drops on the main feed. So if you refreshed your feed today, you should be seeing this episode as well as the first vignette. Uh, Do we have a release order of the vignettes, Griff? I haven't really picked a release order. I think think they'll just kind of come out. Uh, If I'm being honest, our art is almost done. And I'm kind of thinking if I have completed art of one character, I'm going to release that vignette first. And then we uh, and, shoot and show out the, the art, art and everything, on socials so, and stuff. So no order is set in the stone, just because uh, I'm really looking forward to being able to share all of that God, at once. The art looks cool. Yeah, we've seen the early sketches with a little bit of color. It's not the final product, but oh boy, they are so freaking cool. So keep an eye out for both the vignettes and the character art with the first two episodes of. Skull and Shackles dropping the 30th of November. That is a Thursday. Once again, I'll plug that I'm going to be on STF and Friends Traveler, a little mini series starting the evening of the 27th. So that's a Monday on the STF Twitch channel. And I think that pretty much wraps us up. Do we have a final jab, Haley? Uh, I haven't seen anything at all. No, no direct message. Three, two, one, we're right. safe. Well, <laughs> yeah, we made it. So thank you all for joining us out here today. Had a lot of fun, but we are going to go and hop over into our Drunkenness Quarterly channel in the Discord for a little bit of an after party. Finish off these skirt hard seltzers. You know what I'm saying? But Griff, anything you want to say to the folks at home before we get out of here? I would say I don't want to be like Hype Master General, but I am personally very excited for this Skull and Shackles stuff that's coming out. I hope when you listen to the vignette, when this drops, I hope you you know drop everything and go listen to the vignette that is out today. And I hope you like it. And then I hope that gets you hyped for the rest of it because these vignettes have been blowing my mind. So I'm very excited. Yes. And I think at this point, We've all heard all of the vignettes. They're yes. all they're all edited up. They're mm. fucking awesome. So we'll see you then. Yeah, so finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.